the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned. Because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the <coughs> left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good to be here. And uh, on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome to you as well. Good morning, Tom, and thank you for being here. And joining us uh, for today's edition of Armchair Politics, former high-ranking official in two presidential administrations, Mark Everson. Good morning, Mark. Welcome. Good morning, Good morning. gentlemen. Good morning, Good morning Mark. Mark. Well, as, uh, as, as you all certainly know, and most of the people listening know, we always start armchair politics with a few quotes. The first one being the finish the quote segment, where I ask you how you, would you finish this quote. And the quote is, plans to protect air and water, wilderness and wildlife are in fact plans to what? Mm. How would you finish that quote? Mm. Protect the human Preserve race. Preserve humanity. 
hey, to save humanity. You're, you're both right on target. It, the original quote is, plans to protect air and water, wilderness and wildlife are in fact plans to protect man. Hmm. That came from... Uh, Can we add women to that too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's... It's like when Star Trek started saying, where no one has gone before. Um, that uh, that quote actually came from uh, American writer Stuart uh, Udall. Hmm. Hmm. I wasn't really familiar with him, but but the quote caught my attention. As did this one. If he any wasn't Stuart Udall, he was wasn't he more Mo Udall's relative or something? I I so, wondered yeah. about that, Mark. Yes, I, I think you're I think you're right about that. Yes, uh, there's a, there's another quote I think from one of the Udalls. I forgot if it was Mo or Stewart. That when he said uh, when he died, he wanted to be buried in Chicago so he could remain active in politics. It was Mo who ran for president, right? Yeah. Right, well, but where was he from? He was from out west, someplace, right? Um, wasn't it Arizona? Isn't it? No, I thought it was more Wyoming or something. Uh, yeah. Oh. I was thinking Utah or Idaho, right? Something some, like that. Somewhere in that area, um, and one and of those places west of Michigan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah <right>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> On the other yeah. side of the pond, um, but uh, you know, leave it, leave it to Paul, who's from Illinois, to remember that quote about Chicago. <laughs> I, I, I tease Paul I about love it. about still having a box of. Uh, Dewey ballots in the trunk of his car. Um, but uh, one of the quotes that caught my attention this week, and, and you'll probably uh, zero in pretty close on, on where this came from. If anybody is lying here, Senator, it is you. Uh, it's Fauci. Yep. Fauci against Paul, Rand Paul. Yep, exactly. Dr. Anthony Fauci and Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky erupted in a contentious debate over the origins of the coronavirus during a hearing Tuesday on Capitol Hill, prompting the nation's top infectious disease expert to once again rebuke Paul. At issue were uh, Paul's unfounded claims that the National Institutes of Health played a role in funding research that led to the origin of the COVID-19 pandemic. Is Senator Paul qualified to challenge Dr. Fauci on science and scientific method? No, I don't think he was challenging him on scientific information because you can't. You've got to have background for that. But I think uh, where all of this took place, he's challenging the location where the controversy erupted and where we had helped to fund the, the whole experiment and process. Because a lot has been written about that for uh, at least a couple of years. Well, yeah, I mean, right. they've been trying to figure out exactly where it started, and it's a serious question, but uh, it became kind of congressional theater in terms of the shouting yeah. pieces. Right. I, I, th I think that's right, and I think that Fauci is losing this uh, battle because the press had immediately ridiculed Trump last year when he said, oh, this came out of a lab in China, and they, you know, for a year... And particularly during the election cycle, they weren't going to give that any serious consideration. And now that is really getting uh, serious consideration. And this is just a part of that. And while 
I'm not going to comment on whether Paul is right or wrong or the nature of his question because I didn't hear the hear, didn't watch the hearings. But I do think that, that that the amazing thing here is just how much uh, focus the origin of this is now getting when it had been dismissed some time ago. Well, and and Mark, you're right. There are and there are two uh, two camps. Uh, Fauci remains. I, I, I don't want to say adamant because Fauci is never adamant, but he is leaning toward a natural causation for the, the pandemic or a more naturally occurring one than a lab leak. But there are people high in the White House that are starting to embrace this idea that it was a leak from that, right. from that lab. And so you have, you know, there are several players that most would consider on the same side, but finding themselves on two different sides of this issue. And again, it's a serious question and it needs to be resolved. It's just for the, for the history of, of it, if nothing else. <clears throat> we've, and, we've talked about this before, gentlemen, but my ob- objection here is that, you know, People like Fauci, they're supposed to be giving their view of the science, but uh, what's happened is because Trump so ridiculed the the science, if you will, the science has had more uh, sway. They've, they've said their science says X, therefore we must have a public policy of Y. And that is, I just think that that has undercut the science to some degree. And, and Fauci is sort of like, you know, the focus of all of that, uh, if, you, if you will. In addition to that, there are many, uh, not many others, but there are other communities around the world who have taken the same position uh, that Americans have against uh, the source of this virus. Uh, they've joined the United States, and many of them are across the pond, if you will, or across and, and, of course, the thing with science yeah. in general is that, in one sense, there really are no final answers. There's always a possibility for any scientific explanation that there'll be a, a new one tomorrow or next month or next year as we discover more information about anything, whether it's the virus or astronomy or a thousand other things. I thought you said pastrami. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that too. That's also possible. <laughs> Well, it's uh, it's going to be important, I, I suppose, as Paul points out, uh, from a historical standpoint, to get some sense of how this came about, so that we can better prepare for future outbreaks. You know, it's it's ironic if we didn't have the politics in it, we could deal with this rather uh, quickly. But it's the politics that's. Uh, it shouldn't be yeah. a game of proving who's right and who's wrong, but again, we should know. So if, if there's another pandemic five or ten years down the road, we have some better way to respond to it. Exactly. Well, let's, let's, uh, I think i got time to get this one in. Um, there's uh, one more quote before we go to break. The young people of today don't want to sit at home and get free money. They want to experience the world, and in fact, they want to change the world. However, you can't change the world sitting at home in your pajamas getting free money waiting on Queen Gretchen to issue, issue her royal decree. Oh, that's got to be Craig who's thinking about running for governor. 
Yeah, that is. Uh, yeah. Former, former Detroit Police yep. Chief James Craig criticized Governor Gretchen Whitmer uh, on Monday for closing Michigan schools during the coronavirus pandemic, describing the public health measure as one that hurt the state and its residents. Um, has Chief Craig taken the lead in the Republican primary for governor before he's even officially announced, which he's expected to do uh, today or, or sometime this week? Yeah. Well, I think he has. Uh, he's helping and he he's a serious candidate. He's one of the the most serious candidates that we've had in a long time, particularly uh, a, a minority candidate. He's out front. Right. Um, uh, Henry, do you, th- do you think that maybe the intent of Republicans is to avoid a divisive primary where somebody who's really not quite such a mainstream Republican could win, as you saw with uh, with Rick Snyder uh, a few years back? When there were what four or five candidates, and Snyder, with thirty some percent of the vote, got the, got the most and got the nomination, but really wasn't yeah. quite the solid Republican as some of the other ones might have been. Well, I, I think that that might be ideal for the Republicans, but in the aftermath of the last four years, you ain't going to get a civil approach to this. It's going to we're going to fight for blood all the way through this between Republicans and Republicans and Republicans and Democrats. Because that is the, uh, the tenor of how you run for public office today. And we need to get past that we need to, before we see something different. It's going to be a very divisive thing. It could again. be, yeah. Do you think James will get into it? Uh, I, no, I don't think so. Not with Craig in there. Okay, yeah, yeah I think you're probably right, yeah. Well, he ran for Senate a couple of times. He he may end up, um, he could end up lieutenant governor. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's a possibility. Yes. That, and, yeah. and I wouldn't be surprised, Paul, if that conversation hasn't taken place somewhere. You know, I, I have a hunch it probably has. Yeah, yeah. Yes, but we got to move into a new era of politics somehow. We're, we're way off of the track of Democratic and, and uh, Republican sense of government. Well, I read something this morning that uh, Gretchen Whitmer is um, raising tons of money. Yeah, almost well, was $10 million. $10 million. I saw $10 million. That's the number one number I saw, yeah. Yeah, yeah. this early. Yeah, she's she's gearing up. I, I think she expects she's she's going to have a struggle. Um, well, we've got about a minute until we uh, until we go to break, so I'll uh, just um, say that if you're listening to WFOV, our voices radio ninety two point one LPFM in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my uh, friend Paul uh, Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well, and then we'll return with more Armchair Politics featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left and uh, Henry Hatter on the right, joined by uh, 
a former high-ranking official in two presidential administrations, Mark Everson. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We've got lots more armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program coming up straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. 
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Mark Everson. Flint's problems with securing a long-term waste collection contract could be fixed in less than a month, and city officials have three proposals to consider. A spokeswoman for Sheldon Neely said the mayor's recommendation on a three-year garbage contract is expected to be sent to a city council committee in just two weeks, potentially setting up a final vote on the preferred vendor on August 9th. The lowest bid on the contract for three years combined was Green for Life or GFL Environmental, which offered to handle the job for $14.3 million compared to $18.8 million from waste management and $19.7 million from priority waste. GFL, which is based in Southfield, purchased Rizzo Environmental Services in 2016, the same year the Flint City Council voted down former Mayor Karen Weaver's recommendation to award a five-year contract to the company, even though its bid was $2 million lower than what the city had been paying to Republic Services. Um, and there were a lot of problems with that Rizzo uh, vote. Mm-hmm. Is GFL, formerly Rizzo, the right way to go for the next three years? And as some council candidates have suggested, should the city of Flint be working toward taking trash collection back in-house? Hmm. Well, I, don't know, I don't know financially how, how easily it, they could take it back in, but it certainly it ran well when, they, when the city did it on its own, from my recollection at least. And I do know there were a lot of serious problems with Rizzo, with the Rizzo contract in the past. Um, well, didn't Rizzo end up going to jail? Yeah, I don't see what there were some criminal charges I believe that came out of that whole situation <laughs> a few years ago, as I recall. Uh, so now I, the city of Flint. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I don't know. I, I don't recall the details about any kind of conviction of the charges or anything, but I, I'm pretty sure there were some criminal charges out of that Rizzo contract when that was considered. You know, uh, my, my concern with this, the city has to get this right this time. They have to organize themselves like a, a, a governance team to be able to do the right thing for the people of the city of Flint and reduce this cost of continuous um, uh, cost of operating and stuff like that. And most of uh, the reason that this job of, of, of uh, refuse was found out was that the cost of doing business in Flint had risen beyond their capacity to pay for it. Yeah, that yeah, means yeah. that union wages, union wages had gotten too high and they couldn't afford that. You know, I'm going to support the people who did the best thing they could. But somehow this administration today has to get it right so that people around the city will give encouragement to their revitalization. And uh, this fighting on the council every day and against the mayor and not solving any problems and letting those 
problems bubble over into other other communities, people are not going to support that. They need to get it right this time, the mayor and the council. Yeah, I, I agree, okay. Henry. The, 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 the council's got to get some, the, 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 the city government, both council and mayor, have got to have some accomplishments. As you say, it's been just the story of bickering after bickering for, for so long that if they can get a decent contract, whether it's the city or whether it's some other outside company, at least that'll be some accomplishment of, of some consequence they can point to. And they, they need to have some accomplishment because it's, they really have gotten to be the, the poster child for dysfunctional government for such a long time. So could I yeah, jump in here for Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah. I, obviously, I'm not familiar with, with the details on this, but as you know, Tom, when I was the management deputy at OMB in Washington, we spent a lot of time on what functions could be done by the federal government meeting employees and what could be handled by contractors. And uh, when you get to a smaller entity, uh, the state or particularly municipalities, what I've got to say is uh, you've you got to have the contract written correctly so that the performance, there's real accountability on the performance. And then you have to have somebody in the city government who is monitoring on a daily basis what's going on on an essential service like that. Because, uh, you, you know, you wait and the problems develop. It's too late after you get four or five months into the contract. You've got to have somebody. It doesn't matter whether it's IT or, you know, water quality or whatever it is that you're having contractors deal with. Somebody still within the municipal government has to be, uh, overseeing that and holding those those contractors accountable. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's been an issue with, with, with the number of companies and that the, the city has hired so far, that they they have the contracts, but then nobody watches the contracts. And before you know it, things are all fouled up. And it's it. then it gets very contentious. Exactly. They just say, well, the contractors do it. But that's it's not that simple. The, the government is still responsibility for the service, and they've got to own it, uh, just as if they were doing it themselves. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the people in the city of Flint has got to cultivate an interest so that they prepare the garbage and refuse in a way that it does not mistreat the people who pick the garbage up. If you throw garbage out there uh, without uh being packaged properly or without containers and stuff like that, that creates a dissatisfaction with the workers. And the workers don't do their jobs well. They think they're being put up on. And we've we got to clean that up a little bit so that well, we had, want to pick up the we had, Speaking of workers not being treated well, we had one incident, as I'm sure you recall, Henry, within the last couple of weeks where one of these, some of the garbage collection workers were threatened with some guy with a gun on the north side of I mean, nothing <laughs> happened, but somebody pulled a gun on him. <laughs> so you wonder at what point does some, some, some refuse worker decide he's got a better way of making a living. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, there's a lot that needs to be done in, in getting both the city, its people, and the um, businesses that pick up garbage and stuff, create a better environment, a workable environment. It's just like the, what we're trying to do between the community and the police. We've got to have also relationships that create positive attitudes between uh, people who work and pick up the garbage and the people who put it out there. Well, I've been surprised um, talking to candidates for city council. Uh, you know, of course, we have a, a primary coming up in uh, two weeks on August 3rd. 
um, this off year is is when we uh, do the the election for the nine wards and um, three of those wards won't be on the ballot by the way because they didn't have two or more running which is the point of the the primary is to select the top two to move on to the general but I've been talking to all the candidates and I'm surprised at the number of candidates who are suggesting that even though it may not be feasible short term because of uh, you know people it, it being difficult to hire people to do trash collection and of course uh, the fact that our trucks were all scuttled during the the phase where we had emergency managers here um, but I'm surprised at the number of city council candidates who say even though it may not be feasible short-term that we should be working toward taking it in-house long-term yeah but that would well, give the people a sense of satisfaction <clears throat> that they want because I think the people who did it originally had good intentions <clears throat> they would love their jobs and they wanted to retain those jobs but the cost of doing business for the city is just something that broke the camel's back. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the real problem we face is, is with the declining population, declining tax base. We got a huge amount of the city budget goes to to pay retirees from what was once a much larger city, and that doesn't leave you a lot of money for police, fire, trash collection. You know, similar normal city activities. So that I mean, the, the, the bottom line is the city is going to face some real financial crunches in the years to come as, as those resources decline. Currently, I think some of the COVID money and, and things like that are, are, are helping a bit, but that's that's going to be a temporary fix. That's not going to last forever. So, so yeah, the city city is going to be facing some, and even the current budget is a very tentative kind of thing. And they hope it stays balanced, but they, they're saying that almost with their fingers crossed that uh, the current budget they just passed within the last month will actually be a, a functioning balanced budget. We need to have more businesses move into Flint. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, <clears throat> we need to have more population move back into Flint and help well, inform the, that tax base. The best, the best, line, I heard, this was, like best line I heard some years ago is some friend once said that there's nothing wrong with Flint that 80,000 new GM jobs wouldn't cure. And that's probably a pretty accurate depiction of what's happened. Yeah, that sounds, well, that sounds about right. Um, anyway, uh, just, just as, a, as a personal plug here, over the last four shows, I've had the uh, candidates in uh, the second ward, third ward, fourth ward, and sixth ward. And uh, tomorrow we look at the candidates for the seventh ward and the eighth ward on Friday. And uh, I'm I'm trying. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get them all. But so far, yeah, I've had all of the candidates that are running in those wards uh, on the show. That's that's a that's a great public service. I mean, nobody else is doing that kind of thing, and it's, for for a primary like this, especially, it's really very valuable. Well, my concern is is that um, you know these are fairly important decisions, and and again, I'm I'm stumped. I can't remember if it was Tip O'Neill or Everett Dirksen who said all politics is local. I would have been O'Neill, I think. Yeah, I think I think you're right, I think Mark. So, yeah. I I get those two confused because I think it was Everett Dirksen who said all politics is retail. 
Yeah, well, Dirk Dirksen was before my time, but O'Neill was still there. Yeah. That's they right. were both right. <laughs> Mark, my, my dad was such a huge fan of Everett Dirksen that, that you know, uh, I, I just I've got an Everett Dirksen story for you. I, I was in Illinois, and I was working for a newspaper at the time. And Dirksen was was in in the area doing a local rally for local Republicans, and I was taking pictures. And I asked him, uh, this is before a dinner of some kind, there was some uh, tomato juice or something on the table. I said, well, why don't you toast your uh, your colleagues with the, uh, the tomato juice, and I'll get a picture. He says, oh, no, no, I can't do that. People aren't going to know what's in that tomato juice. It'll look like I'm <laughs> drinking whiskey or something. <laughs> he, he didn't want to get, get his picture taken with that tomato juice. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> And, and I don't think anybody would have faulted him in those days. Um, That's probably true. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dirksen was an important figure because he—he he, uh, yeah. it was a day when when people had serious conversations about uh, foreign policy, but without uh, you know, it was there were great divisions, but they weren't purely political because you'd have people on both sides of the aisle sort of lining up with other uh, other people just based on principle. He, he was a strong leader. Well, and people didn't didn't weren't so married to their um, preconceived notion that it that that they couldn't consider that there was more to know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Dirksen was the one who really kind of came across and finally made some some of those civil rights laws of the early '60s possible. Yes, um, he was. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, uh, that was when. Uh, politics, as we look back retrospectively, worked well in the United States. You had people like Bill O'Neill, Tip O'Neill, or Bill, or, and Dirksen, and Dosa, and Johnson, and all of them. They had their their uh, sneaky moments, but politics worked well in the country, despite of all of the problems that were invisible like racism and genderism and all of that stuff. But it worked well for the country. We moved ahead and became the richest country in the world. Well, here's an interesting story that caught my eye. Uh, Genesee County Clerk Register uh, John Gleason has set a special election to take place more than a year from now to elect a clerk in Davison Township after the board failed to appoint a new one before a July 14th deadline. The township board had more than a month to come to an agreement on a new clerk to serve out the rest of Mary Miller's term, who resigned May 31st due to family health issues. Trustees Matt Carr and Lori Tallman supported Travis Howell, who lost to Miller in the Republican primary, for the clerk position. Supervisor Jim Slezak and Treasurer Tim Green supported uh, Mo Aboniage, I think that's how you say his name, uh, up until their last meeting July 12th. The board was stuck at a 2-2 deadlock. The newly elected clerk in Davison Township will serve a partial term ending in 2024. Miller was elected to a four-year term in November 2020. Davison Township will now be without a fifth vote until a new candidate is elected in November 2022. Each political party is now authorized to nominate a candidate for the clerk's position by 4 p.m. August 4th. Writing candidates with no party affiliation may register by filing uh, qualifying petitions with a minimum of 60 signatures, according to Gleason. 
What other things might Davison Township deadlock on between now and November 2022? Oh, <laughs> given today's partisanship, I'm tempted to say almost everything. Yeah, that could. Uh, I, I kind of wonder about a special election, though. Is that? I, well, it's going to be gonna... it's going to be concurrent with an election that's already happening. Oh, okay, okay. I'll, I'll In November of 22. When, when we're uh, voting yeah. for governor and some other things. Okay. And, yeah. and I think that's why he did that, was to forego the expense of doing one, say, right, right. you know, next May or something. And, and that's the procedure when you have a person missing from the table. Uh, that's what they must do. They, you know, you've got to replace that person because there are people underrepresented. You got to make sure you get representation, equal representation, for the districts that they have in in Davison. Now we've got an interesting thing going on in the uh, Flint City Council uh, race that that is up for primary on August third. In the first ward, Eric Mays is the incumbent. He was running unopposed, but since. Um, it was determined that the first ward wouldn't be on the ballot. A write-in candidate has entered the picture. Um, that still only means two people, so that ward won't be on the ballot. Paul, do you know if um, if 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 people can in the first ward can write in a candidate during uh, or or in this primary? And and I I really hadn't thought about. It. I thought well, writing candidates won't matter until we get into the general election. But now I'm starting to wonder, because I remember when uh, Detroit Mayor uh, Duggan didn't make That's the right. primary ballot, he did a write-in, but the office was on the ballot. And he pulled it off, yeah. And that's actually how I'm... he got elected mayor was through that write-in right. primary. Right. You know, as you're saying that, what I was thinking is that, you know, if you had only one write-in candidate, you probably wouldn't need the August primary. But what if you have two or three or more write-in candidates who are competing? You could make a case that you ought to have something on the ballot. But I'm wondering whether or not there's even going to be any polling stations open in the in the first ward and the other wards you'd mentioned. Where there is no contest, or uh, yeah, because there's really nothing else on the ballot this time. That's um, right. Yeah, there there are uh, I think three in Genesee County. I think there are three townships or villages that have yeah, millages. there are a couple, couple of millager bond issues out there in, in the t- rural townships. But other I think, yeah, you're right. There's three of those. I think Fenton or something. But yeah, but but in terms of the city, it's it's just the count the, the council primary. And that raises a real good question. Is well, yeah, what if you had a couple of three or four candidates who wanted to run a writing campaign in the first ward? Uh, I'm not sure that there are even facilities being planned for that. Yeah, again, I guess you need to check with the city clerk. But as far as I know, I, I don't <coughs> think there's any any uh, any machinery in place to handle that kind of stuff. Yeah, and as you recall, that uh, the election law changed so that they combine. Most local elections, including school boards, uh, with uh, the uh, federal elections, so the national election or state yeah, elections. Right. So right. that that whole process has to be tested as to how do you take care of the loose ends, the ones that are not. Well, there used and to be far- four times that you could have an election. It was February, right. 
May, August, and November. And, and those the, there were special elections in February and May for school board and school millages and, and things of that nature. And very often they like to hold them, as we've talked about many times, Paul, they like to hold them in uh, off elections, if you will. Because it's a small turnout. <laughs> right, yeah. and, and likely people that were already inclined to support the, the initiative. Um, but I think the state of Michigan dropped February. You can no longer schedule yeah, I think so. in February. And, and I've heard some discussion that they're thinking about trying to minimize the May one as well. I mean, that may or may not go, but I've heard some discussion along those lines, too. To, to just, to, just again, to just to, if nothing else, to, to save the local governments the, 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 the funds of setting up all these these three or four elections every year. Well, I I was hoping, Paul, that you might have some professorial answer that would guide I, I, I me. Really because don't know. I, I really don't know. But as far as, at least from what, I've, from what I'm aware of, and I may not be aware of what's going on in the first ward, I, I don't think they're going to have anything, any polling stations available or whether absentee voters could vote absentee by writing. I don't know. That's a good question. Well, I, I've been asked um, first by uh, Jan Nelson from East Village Magazine if I was going to do anything on the write-in candidates, which I normally would do. Um, and, and then I got contacted by one of the write-in candidates themselves, and I thought, maybe I better look into this a little bit more. I, I was kind of blowing it off to the general, and yeah, I, I'm not sure well, if I should still do uh, that. Yeah, there, there's a writing candidate who lives near 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 me over here, and as far as I know, she's directing her campaign primarily for the general election. I mean, she, I, she, uh, to the best of my knowledge, she's not really making a big pitch to vote for her in the primary, but she's making a pitch to to go for the general. I believe. Um, so, and yeah, I think there there are going to be a, a handful because I know I had a couple of people on the show uh, a few months ago when the uh, petition deadline went by. Uh, Juantes Davis, a former city council member, didn't qualify to be on the ballot to run for his seat again. And there was somebody else and uh, in that same ward, I think, that um, was questioning... Right, but there were quite a few who didn't make the cut. As I recall, there were 42 people who filed to run, and only 25 or so, I believe, actually made the made the cut to to be on the ballot. So there were a number of people who were disqualified because of inadequate signatures or petition flaws of one kind or another. Uh, and, and many of those did say they were going to think about a writing campaign. I'm not sure all of them are going ahead seriously, but some of them are. And in fact, I say a couple of them are have even passing around flyers here and there every now and then. Well, I know there there are at, at least a couple, and may, maybe as many as a half a dozen people trying to do write-in campaigns because of dissatisfaction with the uh, with the outcome with their petition drives to yeah. get on the ballot. Yeah. So, yeah, that was that was the case with somebody over, let's say. In, in the, two blocks away from my house here in, in, in this neighborhood. Well, I'm going to have to look into it, but uh, for now... Yeah, that's a good question. It's a good question. For now, we're going to have to uh, take another break, but we'll come back and uh, and we'll pick on Lansing for a little while when we come back <laughs> with uh, 
more armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program. If you're listening to us at 92.1 FM, our voices radio, WFOV in Flint, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. But lots more uh, armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program is coming. So by all means, don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. Uh, stay tuned. And uh, we shall continue with Paul Rosicki, Henry Hatter, and Mark Everson right after this. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck up. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. 
Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm Tom Sumner, and we continue now with Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined uh, this week by Mark Everson. Uh, Michigan Republicans... Go ahead. I was going to say, Tom, during the break, I, I went to the City of Flint website, and just I was curious about the question you asked before, and I didn't find much, but I found this one statement here on the uh, absentee voting, and the one statement says, it's important to note that there will not be a primary election in the first, fifth, and ninth wards. However, those wards will be included in the general election in November. So, it, I mean, that's all I found so far, but it sounds to me like there, there won't be anything going on in those wards for the, for the potential write-in candidates, I'm guessing. Well, but now it's got me uh, curious about whether or yeah. not there are writing candidates in those wards that will be on the ballot, and I need to look exactly. into that. Exactly. Yeah, that raises some real good questions. Where I thought yeah. I hadn't, because there was always uh, there was always kind of this last-minute nature of uh, writing candidates, and and not much in the way of pre-registering. Right. Yeah. Well, well, we'll see. Like I say, it's, it's, it's a good question, and it could be a curious, could, could raise some curious issues if there are a number of them in some of those wards, and it's, it, it may well be possible. Well, thanks for digging into that, Paul. I appreciate yeah. it. Michigan Republican senators used a relatively obscure procedural tactic Thursday to repeal an emergency powers law in a manner that prevents Governor Gretchen Whitmer from issuing a veto. The Senate voted 20 to 15 along party lines in favor of a petition pushed by a group called Unlock Michigan and other critics of the governor that would repeal the Emergency Powers of Governor Act of 1945. Under Michigan law, a petition that receives enough signatures and is certified by the Board of State Canvassers goes to the legislature for approval. The legislature can vote in support of the petition's proposed idea or leave the decision up to voters in the form of a ballot question. Under Michigan law, a petition that receives enough signatures and is certified by the Board of State Canvassers goes to the legislature for approval. The legislature... uh, um, if the legislature approves the petition, Whitmer cannot veto the measure and the law would be repealed. If this law is repealed as expected, will the governor's emergency powers be gutted or can the 1976 law prove adequate for future emergencies? Well, the 76 law is going to remain in place, but what strikes me is that that there's a apparently, as if I understand it correctly, there's a second petition that would would also limit the powers of the health department because what 
what what Whitmer yeah. did is that once the Supreme Court said that law was unconstitutional, which they did what last August, I think, or something of that nature. Yeah, and then that voided the law. But then she passed the passed the ball to the health they, department. Actually, they that, issued the orders. That ruling was uh, not all encompassing, Paul. They didn't they didn't shoot the law down. They said the extensions that she used were unconstitutional. Right. So right. she could not have continued to reissue her orders without some sort of legislative involvement. Yeah. yeah. And we knew for a long time that uh, the two laws, the 1945 law and the 1968, is it? Law? 76. They were in con- 76. 76. They were in conflict. Yeah. Yeah. They were in conflict was- with each other. And one had to go, uh, according to the discussion of some uh, subject matter experts. Yeah, well, one gave her 28 days of emergency powers. The other was basically unlimited. The 45 law was. so. Uh, uh, but as I say, when she passed the ball to the health department, I, I understand there's a similar petition in the pi- pipeline that would also limit the health department, I guess, other departments, too, to uh, issue these kind of orders as well. Uh, and I, and I, I suspect they'll pass. What, what strikes me as curious, though, is that when this is done, this, this same policy will now apply to Republican governors in the future as well if we face yes. a similar situation. So it, uh, it may be a double-edged sword. Yeah, it'll, it'll strike back at Whitmer, but it will apply to future governors too. And that's, that's good. We, we will become stabilized. We'll understand what the rules are and what the law is. Well, and, and what right happens to, to the legal underpinning for states of emergency for you know, weather and uh, um, blizzards and bridge collapses and yeah. sinkholes. I, and I was surprised to learn things. when this first happened with, with way back at the beginning of the pandemic, how often governors did issue these or, these orders. But again, mostly they were for blizzards or tornadoes or yeah. floods. Or, and they, they were for a local area and they'd last for a week or two until things were cleaned up and you'd move on from that. We really haven't had one that's gone on for a, a year or, or so, <clears throat> like the pandemic. So it was really very unique compared to other utilizations of that law. But I guess, as far as I know, that means we fall back in the '76 law. This gives her twenty, gives a governor twenty-eight days before they have to consult with the legislature. And, well, you which know, it, you know, in an emergency like the one that we're talking about, the pandemic um, could have been started immediately. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we talked about this a little bit earlier, and we'll squeeze a little bit more in on the on the subject of uh, Chief Craig. A spokesman for recently retired Detroit Police Chief James Craig confirmed Thursday that Craig filed for personal bankruptcy in the late 1990s but denied that Craig's financial history reflects poorly on him as a candidate for governor. As a police officer in Los Angeles, Chief Craig used Chapter 13 to restructure his debt, said Ted Goodman, a political advisor to Craig. He paid it off and it was dismissed. Chief Craig has since successfully managed budgets into the hundreds of millions of dollars as chief of police to the city of Detroit. Is a 1990s bankruptcy in Los Angeles significant to the 2022 campaign for Michigan governor? Uh, 
I'm inclined to say it's going to be a pretty minor issue. I, I mean, unless there's more to it, but I, uh, I yeah, my, my guess is it's, it's, it's it's not going to be a big issue. I don't think. Uh, given, well, given the time yeah, frame. you know, I I think it's I think it's something to seriously consider, because people who manage to state with billions of dollars of debt and trust it are going to look at that, and particularly the other party is going to make mince meat of that. And so he has to have a good argument, uh, and he has to have demonstrated in other ways that he's overcome whatever uh, detriment that has become for him. You know, he's going to have to do some defending, guys. We can't yeah. let people off just because uh, they've been police chief or whatever. We've got to go through the scrutiny. You know uh, what? I couldn't help. Me, go ahead, Mark. I was going to jump in here. Look. Trump filed for bankruptcy a couple times in some of his uh, key business entities. <laughs> right, and, uh, right. You know, so <laughs> I I think that the question will be, and I, I'm, I'm not familiar with the details of this race, as you might imagine, but how does he handle this? Does he say, right. yes, I made mistakes and I've learned from them? Uh, I think people are anxious yeah. to have uh, public servants who've, who've learned from what, what's happened, and this is long enough ago that that he's got a clear track record since that time. What are you talking about? Almost 30 years, right? A quarter of a century. My goodness. So uh, I think that that just depends on how he handles it. Well, yeah. I couldn't help yeah. wondering um, who dug this up and leaked it, if it was Democrats <laughs> or if it was other Republicans who want, <laughs> who want to get the nomination. Yeah, yeah, that's the first I heard about the bankruptcy issue. Although now that you mention it, uh, it was in the free press just recently. Did did Truman file for bankruptcy at some point early in his career? I, I think there was something back there. I think it was Lincoln, wasn't it? Well, maybe I don't know about Lincoln. No, I think no. You're right about Truman because you know a lot of his detractors referred to him as a failed businessman. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That haberdashery company ran for a while. This fellow may put it out himself because uh, you want to burn these things off. What you don't want to have is that's a good point. A, a, Mark. Ne a negative fact surfacing like at the last nope. minute. That's no good. Yeah. You know. You know another Michigander who did that, although it was under the advice and counsel uh, and, and direction of uh, Disney Productions was Tim Allen. Uh, oh. Tim Allen had. Um, a cocaine uh, conviction. He had actually done some time in prison, oh. and um, oh, that's, that's when, right. yeah. when he yeah. started, he was a felon. Yeah, and when he started becoming very, very popular, and when Disney picked him up, said, "You know, is there anything we need to know?" And they they got that all sorted out, and they put out a big story about how he had, you know, overcome this this raucous youth that he had, where he spent time in prison and turned his life around, and you know, they they cut it off right, you know, before they ever cast him as you know well, Santa Claus or any any of those things that he did home improvement and all that mm -hmm. and and they, well, you know, they did exactly locally. what Mark's talking about get it yeah. out get it out yourself control the story and make it a non-issue well you know we had one yeah. here, here here in the Flint City Council with one was Davis I mean when with his he had a what a murder conviction but he came out he he, he came out came clean on it and talked about it and 
at least got elected once to the Flint City Council. Yeah. That was uh, that was practically right. his rallying cry, as you recall. Oh, yeah, almost, Paul. yes. You know, he'd, he'd go door to door and say, you know, I turned my sorry life around. I can, you know, maybe I can help Flint. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and, 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 you know, the real, realistically, all of us walk through uh, a cost coals of fire because we don't know when someone would come up with something on us that, that we we did and and uh, is uh, is not prevalent before the public and we have to defend and and I think it's just best to get that out front and uh, deal with it just like they did with there's, Alan. Well, on that, Mark, I'm going to have to have you put a comma there because we're going to take a very short break and we'll be back with the second half of Armchair Politics with uh, Paul Rosicki, Henry Hatter, and Mark Everson here on the Tom Sumner program right after this. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Tom Sumner. 